Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday. It is March the 2nd, 2015. Today we're reading from the big book on the chapter, We Agnostics, and we're going to be on page 56 today, beginning in the third paragraph, This Man Recounts. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Nancy S., 12 Traditions, Amy W., and the readers of our text today is Du L., Scott K., and Sharon S., now, the share code for yesterday, Sunday, March the 1st, 2015, our special edition is 7363. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask, oh my goodness, um, I will now ask Nancy S. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, Janice. This is Nancy S. from Wisconsin, a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, Can you hear me okay? Okay, fine. Thank you. Um, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, 
having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do this service, and I pass. And thank you, Nancy S. I will now ask Amy W. to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Amy W., compulsive overeater from California. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on o- upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only qu- requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Amy W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and the We Agnostics on page 56. And we're going to, the first reader is going to read the third paragraph that begins This Man Recounts for Context and she's going to read two additional paragraphs. Okay, read, uh, reader. Duel will be our first reader. 
Good morning. Um, this man recounts that he tum tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God. He poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at floods. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in a conscious companionship with his creator. And thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vestitudes has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such great times of great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink, even if he would. God had restored his sanity. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstance made him willing to believe. He humble, humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Um, good morning. This is Du L, uh, Recover Compulsive Overeater from New York. And what I see here is that this man, the, the reason why he was able to overcome his alcoholic drinking was because he had fixed a cornerstone in place. What is the cornerstone? Well, it was this belief in a power greater than himself that would restore him back to sanity. And when he was able to fix that in place, where he was able to believe and be open-minded enough to allow something else other than human uh, resources to help him, all of a sudden, his vestitudes or his difficulties, his hardships, his variations in life circumstances were not able to be shaken. He was able to go on ahead and, and have recovery and, um, and be recovered in, in the sense where he was never to drink again. And that's the promise. You know, the promise is not saying here that I'm going to have a relapse or that I'm going to continue to drink or that I'm going to continue to binge. It's saying, no, the problem has been removed. It has been totally taken away, and, and all of a sudden, I'm restored to a same way of eating and a same way of thinking, because also my thinking is restored. And it says, um, what is this but a miracle of healing? It's yet, its elements are simple. And what are the elements? Um, we read that in page 13. It said, my, promise, my friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answer all my problems. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, humility, and to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. And that's what I see here, that it's not in our time, but in God's time, that we cannot hear the message until we're absolutely ready. And the message comes in all different ways. We, we need to be open to connect with God and let him in. He's always looking for openings to make us aware that he is there. We need to help if we look for him. You know, and we could see this in little miracles that happen every day. We just need to be open-minded enough to see these miracles happening in our everyday life instead of saying that it's coincidences, because I know that's what I used to say. They're coincidences instead of miracles. So we need to be willing to be open to the idea of a power greater than ourselves, and we could see this in little invisible forces all around us constantly working in our favor, like the air, the electricity, the electrons, the gases, the intellect and design. And, um, you know, and that's what this man came to. He came to 
see these things in his life, that they were not circumstances. They were actually a belief in God and something greater than himself. And he was able to humbly offer himself to God and, and take the step to have this cornerstone in his life. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Du. Duel. Who would like to comment on the um, the last two paragraphs that were read? Effie Kay. Wait, I, I didn't get the first one. Kathy Kay. Oh, Kathy Kay. Kathy yeah. Kay. Then I heard Paula. Rabia. Kim. I heard Paula and Kim and then Rabia. Sally. Okay, wait a minute. Kathy, Paula, Kim. Rabia and Sally. That's what we'll go with, okay? Kathy, please go ahead. Thank you, Janice, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. Um, uh, in a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. You know um, how beautiful that is, but how untrue it was for me. And I am speaking as one for whom this process developed very, very slowly rather than as a uh, bolt of lightning, um, as some of the stories in this book are. Um, I, I found that it was um, my willingness to practice uh, daily meditation and prayer uh, and trusting that something would develop as a result of that practice um, that enabled me over time to experience the presence of God. And I really want to share that because I think there are many of us in these rooms who have that gradual educational variety of a spiritual experience. And I can read this and I can appreciate it, um, but my process was a lot more gradual, and it was only in looking back that I saw the miracles that had come to me as a result of that daily practice. And with that, I pass. Well, thank you, Kathy Kay. Paula, your your turn. Press star one to unmute, Paula. Uh, button, correct button pressed. Uh, this could be Paula D. And thank you, my friend in Massachusetts, for your service. And again, yes, I know who I am today. My name is Paula D. That would be me. And I am today in Florida, and I am recovered by the grace of God. And as we come into this line, oh, lines, oh, what beautiful lines. And I know that we don't have to share on, but may I first introduce, who are you to say there is no God? You know that line about pride that Bill talks about? I who had thought so well of myself. Oh, yes. And there's a line, and it said, and it says, oh, I didn't know anything about love. And I finally realized one who knows a lot but loves little. That was the life I lived. I knew a lot, could tell you a lot, could read a lot. But more, as we come here to this place, and what a place he came to, and he fell to his knees. But as we go along, thus, look at this word, look at what changed. Was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place? There, do you not see the third step? God is building here. Building. 
if it isn't fixed and placed, it will not stand, nor did it. I could not stand against drinking life. But here, fixed in place. And I love what was said. No later mm, has shaken it. But I want to go to this line before I end, mindful of the time always. Save for, now look at the words, a few brief moments of temptation. They were there. They were there. The allure of the past. Could it be better? Restless, irritable discontent. He comes, but look at few brief moments of the thought of drink has never returned. There it is in the mind. Because the mind has been renewed and as it is said here, restored, reborn. Every one of them, a new experience done again. What is this but a miracle of healing? And that's a question asked. I have no other answer. But it is a miracle of healing. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. And thank you, Paula. Kim G., your turn. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. God had restored his sanity. I can tell you that's my experience um, in the last four years. You know, I've been in L.A. for 20 years, and for the first 17, I really thought the best that I could do was I could distract myself enough during the day, white-knuckle it, and hopefully go to bed at night totally exhausted but abstinent one more day. I really thought that this was something for alcoholics only. The food is so different. A saying in my area was, yeah, the, the alcoholics just don't have to drink, but us compulsive readers. We have to take the tiger out of the cage three times a day. And let me tell you, that was a good description of how my life felt when I was abstinent only. It was like something was stalking me. So what I did for years is I put the food down, and I would face the food, and I would fight the food, and I would throw tools at it, and I would throw meetings at it, and I would throw sponsors at it, and I would throw phone calls at it. But I was always focused on the food, the food, the food. And four years ago, when I was beaten to a state of reasonableness, when I knew I couldn't, I couldn't live with eating and I couldn't live without eating, I put down the food 100% and I faced the solution and I ran with the solution with all my might. And I today am recovered. So the thought of drink had never returned. My mind has been restored. And what that means is if I don't want the food, which is my experience, I'm not going to pick up the food. And if I don't pick up the food, I'm not going to trigger the allergy. And if I don't trigger the allergy, I'm not going to be in that, that vicious cycle that is described so beautifully in a doctor's opinion. So if you want to know, if that doesn't make sense to you, one of the most common questions we get on the line in the after meeting is what does recovered mean? Is look at those 10-step promises on page 84 and 85 and ask yourself, is that your experience? Is your experience with abstinence only that you're not fighting anything or anyone? Not my experience. I was fighting everything and everyone in abstinence only. You know, it says here, we react sanely and normally and we'll find that this has happened automatically. That's not my experience in abstinence only. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I never felt safe and protected in abstinence only. We are neither cocky nor we are afraid. Those describe my experiences in abstinence only. I was cocky, thinking I had 
I, I was everything. You guys can lose weight like me if you do what I do. Or I was terrified of one bite away and one bite away and one bite away. So today my reality is I am recovered. Today my reality is, save for a brief moments of temptation, the thought of, of eating has not returned in the four years that I have worked through these steps and had a spiritual awakening. God has restored my sanity. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. <clears throat> Rabia, please, you're up. you're up. Good morning, fellow visionaries. This is Rabia. I am a compulsive overeater from New York, and I'm so grateful, so deeply grateful to be on the line with all of you this morning. And, and this last paragraph we left, read, um, I am experiencing this miracle of healing. Um, and the elements are simple, that pain, the circumstances made me willing to believe. And I am loving my new journey through these 12 steps. It's deeper and it's richer and um and and I'm in blessed awe of the experience I'm having. And so I've been led to Dr. Bob's original third step prayer because before the big book was written, uh, the original pioneers who were three and then five and then 10 were living these 12 steps. And so... Dr. Bob, of course, as the co-founder, had his own original third-step prayer, and 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 I'm I've been saying it every morning, and I would love to say it in front of my fellows out loud, um, because this is exactly where I am in my third step, and so on my knees, I would like to share with you. Dr. Bob's Third Step Prayer. Dear God, I'm sorry about the mess I've made of my life. I want to turn away from all the wrong things I've ever done and all the wrong things I've ever been. Please forgive me for it all. I know you have the power to change my life and can turn me into a winner. Thank you, God, for getting my attention long enough to interest me in trying it your way. God, please take over the management of my life and everything about me. I am making this conscious decision to turn my will and my life over to your care, and I'm asking you to please take over all parts of my life. Please, God, move into my heart. However you do it is your business, but make yourself real inside me and fill my awful emptiness. Fill me with your love and Holy Spirit, and make me know your will for me. And now, God, help yourself to me and keep on doing it. I'm not sure I want you to, but do it anyhow. I rejoice that I am now a part of your people, that my uncertainty is gone forever, and that you now have control over my will and my life. Thank you, and I praise your name. Amen. And thank you so much for allowing me to share this with all of you. I pass. Thank you, Rabia. Sally, you're up. <clears throat> Sally, please press Thank you, Janice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. Good morning, A Vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. 
So here we are in the bottom of page 56. We're coming to the end of this chapter on we Gnostics, and we see this man who has been quite blocked at the top of the page by um, a multitude of calamities. Um, he has an experience um, in the middle of the page, and finally we're here at the bottom. Who are you to say there is no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds he was overwhelmed, by a conviction of the presence of God. So here it is. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. And this to me represents sort of a a tsunami. If you've ever seen, um, there's video footages on YouTube of what it looks like when this wave just backs up and backs up and backs up until it just floods over and it just travels. It's like a traveling force. And that's what's described here, this traveling force that's going through his mind with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. They were all being pushed out of the way. And he stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He, he had stepped from bridge to shore. And this line, he had stepped from bridge to shore, is harping on page 53 at the, at the sort of in the middle of the page about, um, it's in the paragraph, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. And so when I look at this, this sentence, he had stepped from bridge to shore, I, I just have to tell you that I have this picture in my mind of a Monet painting surrounded by all those lily pads. And, and in, the, in, in the past, I might have to leap from bridge to shore, from the bridge of reason to the shore of faith. But here I'm told to step from bridge to shore. And it's almost as if I believe my higher power in my mind has lifted the bridge and brought it right next to the shore. Here, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to leap. You don't have to, because for me, I would have, I would have leaped and I would have landed in the water for sure. But for me, I don't have to do that because the, this presence of infinite power and love is here and has moved the bridge of reason, my reasoning, my finite reasoning, right over to the edge of the shore so that I can gently step from that bridge of reason to the shore of faith. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. And I have to tell you, you know, yesterday my daughter um, said to me that my four-year-old granddaughter was at breakfast licking the the, um, powdered sugar off of her pancakes. And she had said, she had looked at my daughter and said, Mommy, I love sugar. And it was a real joke, and they were all laughing. And, of course, I did not say one word about it. But in my heart was a sinking feeling of, and there it begins, that love relationship with food that perhaps, um, which I see in this little chubby little four-year-old little girl, perhaps will be something that carries her into life. Um, that will be her relationship. I don't know. All I know is that when we see this power and love here in this paragraph, I just have to say that I have had to develop this conscious companion. Time now. Time. I'm sorry. Thank you, Janice. And I, I encourage all of us to develop a conscious companionship with our creator. Thanks for letting me share with that. I talk.
Yes, thank you, Sally. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would like to comment on those those two paragraphs on uh, that? I'd like to comment, Amy. Amy. from California. <laughs> I heard Rakesset. I heard Larry. And I don't know who else. Vasa. Vasa. Berta. Let's go Amy. with you. Okay, let's go with those five. Rakesset. Larry, and whoever I said, go. <laughs> Thank you, Janice. This is Rakesset, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And I can relate so much to this man. I just, these are, these are words that I said. He's laying in bed in the hospital, and he's thinking about it. And he says, oh, well, what if? What, you know, look, I'm looking at all these people that have recovered, and that was me coming into program. I'm looking at all the people that have recovered, and were miracles in my eyes. And he said, just what if? What if there really is a power out there that these people have tapped into? Could it be? And that's all it starts with. It's a question. Could it? Maybe. That's what happened to me. Cause I came in and I didn't believe. I pretended I believed because they say act as if, but it, for years and years and years, it never really entered my heart that I believed in a power greater than myself is going to help me. And when I did start to believe is when I had no other choice. When my back was up against the wall, I had nothing more to try. No more diets to try. No more OA programs to try. Nothing. Nothing worked and nothing was going to work. The only solution for me was to ask, what if there really is a power out there that's greater than my power and it's going to help me do what I can't do for myself? It's going to help me put down the food in a way that I have never been able to before with some with some uh, clarity and some peace, peace, without having to white-knuckle it all the time. So that's how it started for me. What if? What if? And for him, as soon as he said that, he he fell to his knees and, he, and then he felt the Spirit of God come into him, but it didn't quite happen that way for me, but as soon as I was willing to say, God, if there's got to be a power greater than me that's going to help me, because if not, I had nothing else to try, and I might as well continue on to the bitter end. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Rakefet. Larry Kay, your turn. Good morning. Thanks, Janice. Uh, thanks for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Couple Reader. Um, you know, what these paragraphs um, bring to mind for me is just, you know, there's, there's good news and, and bad news. You know, I'd I, I like to focus mostly on the good news, so I'll just get the bad news quickly. The bad news is if you are a compulsive overeater like me, and, uh, you know, only a spiritual awakening, you know, will bring about this state, this state that we call recovered. That's what I've learned in the big book, and more importantly, that's what I've experienced. So it's become an experiential process for me. And, um, and I, you know, when I got here, you know, um, it was, boy, life was really, really bad. And, um, you know, like Kim shared and, and many others have shared, um, you know, Look, if you're not a compulsive overeater, if you are not a compulsive overeater, then, you know, you don't need this prescription. But I needed it. 
And so, you know, the bad news was it wasn't going to work if, uh, as long as I did not have a spiritual awakening. The good news for me and for everyone else since the time this book was published in 1939 is that if you work these steps precisely, you will have a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to arrest this disease. My disease is in remission. It's not cured. It'll never be cured. I'm stuck with the allergy. Sorry, Larry, that's, that's just the way it goes. I can accept that today. But the obsession has been lifted, and no one had to tell me it was lifted. I don't struggle in the food anymore. Thank God. God did this for me. I don't struggle in the food anymore. And I just have to remain in fit spiritual condition, and that's what I do each day. And it tells me the big book instructs me precisely how to do that. I don't have to fight anymore. I'm not swimming upstream. I'm swimming downstream with God as the as the, as, the, as the leader. I don't struggle with life anymore. Thank God. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Larry Kay. Um, was there someone before Berta? All right. Berta, you're up. Amy, so, sorry. Okay, let's have, um, Amy, were you before Berta? I don't know. Um, why don't we go, well, Berta? I was in there somewhere. All right, <laughs> let's go. All right, Amy, go ahead, dear, and then we'll do Berta. Go ahead. Okay, thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive reader, Amy G. from Maryland. Thus, our friend's cornerstone was fixed in place. No later was shake, shaking it. <laughs> I love when people go to the dictionary and the definition for cornerstone is is a store a stone that forms part of a corner in the outside wall of the building. Two walls that come together it even shows often that the date in the building was built. Something of basic importance. And for me, that cornerstone, those two walls coming together, was finally out of desperation. Circumstances were such I was beaten and pummeled by this disease. The two walls came together. What were those two walls? Me and God, me and my higher power, we came together. And that was the cornerstone for me and the foundation upon which my recovery was built. And it has a date on it. And it is what it is that is the corner. It is the cornerstone, the foundation. And I think that Bill uses these words specifically, these words to describe what is a very basic thing, which is at the beginning of all of this, not the absence, everything at the beginning, which is our belief in, in a higher power, in a power greater than ourselves. Because what is the dilemma? Lack of power. We needed power, power greater than ourselves. I remember my sponsor saying to me, look, I don't care if it's you, Jesus, Buddha, or the, I mean, if, I don't care if it's, Jesus are the universal vibes of a tree as long as it's not you. And because of disease and where I was at at my bottom, I got that. And finally, finally, you know, finally, that Lord talks about these barriers that had built through years were swept away. For me, I was more of a garden variety. But based on that desperation, the gift of desperation, the two walls came together and that cornerstone was built. At that point, I became willing to work this program. It says on page 24 and 25 in the big book, we had but two options. 
One was to continue eating to oblivion, or the other was to pick up the kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. So what did I have to do? I had to become willing to believe. I became willing to believe in a power greater than myself, and that was a little sketchy as far as entirely, you know, the whole God thing. But I was willing to believe in this program and those who had recovered and gone before and the instructions that were given in this book. So I picked up the, I picked up the spiritual tool, put it at my feet, which is a belief, and taking action into working these steps, putting the food down and going on to work these steps like my life depended upon it. And it says here, save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink had never returned. Well, I remember one of the special edition speakers saying, I'm not responsible for the first thought, but I am responsible for the second. And that's why I'm recovered but never cured. Yes, like Larry said, I'm a compulsive overeater. That's just not going to change. That is never going to change. And there are days on occasion, by the grace of God, it's been many a day since I've had any type of food thought to me, but there are those days where something comes up, like it's a food that wasn't around when I was binging and purging, and I think to myself, wow, I wonder what that would be like. That's the first thought. The second thought is a skull and crossbones. Why? Because this program comes to the fore by the grace of God and these 12 steps. I have been transformed. I have had a personality change that's sufficient to bring about recovery, and I maintain it spiritually on a daily daily basis. So what comes to the fore, instead of thinking and dwelling on what that food would taste like, I think to myself, this is a skull and crossbone. This is not what I'm about anymore. By the grace of God, this is not who I am anymore. And that is what being restored to sanity is. It is having that freedom, and that's what I wanted more than anything else. By the time I came to the program, it wasn't just about the weight. It was seeing the recovered people and the peace and serenity that they had in their eyes, and I wanted that more than anything. And if they told me to climb, you know, whatever, yes, thank you. So this program works if you work it. Thank you so much for letting me have an opportunity to share. With that, I'll pass. Yes, okay, thank you. Um, Vasa. I think you were next. Are you there, Vasa? Oh. Okay. Thank you, Janice. I was just going to wait. <laughs> but anyway, thank you, Janice, for your service. And I'm Vasa O, Recover Compulsive Overeater, calling from Florida. And looking at this paragraph, um, I've had a similar uh, experience as this man, but it didn't come to me. In, to me, I needed to have the desperation, which I did have, and I needed, I needed to have the misery that I had and to humble myself on my knees. But I needed to be shown um, from my sponsor because I did depend on my own power to put, the food, to put the food down for many, many, many years, and I couldn't. And she said, Vasa, you need to find a power greater than yourself to help you. If you could have done it by yourself, you could have done it all these years. She said, if I could have done it, do it by myself, I would have done it for years. I would have done it myself. So I needed to be shown, and it gave me the hope, and it gave me the hope, yeah, because I didn't want to die anymore. So uh, I was ready, and I was willing to humble myself to get on my knees, and I was terrified, you know, I didn't know whether this God was going to strike me or heal me or raise me, whatever, and I remember, I didn't know the, the third prayer, the weights, you know, I just used a few words, my own few words that came up in my mind, you know, and I said, please, I said, help me, I cannot do this food anymore by myself, 
and I asked him to forgive me for all the sins I had committed over my life. And believe me, I had a lot of secrets in my life. I had never gone to a confession. That was my first confession. I remember saying to God, please forgive me for all my sins I had committed over my life. And I felt this power just go over my, my body. And it, I know it was a spiritual experience. And it says here that about this man, this man recounts that he humbled out, humbled out of bed in his, on his knees. In few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God, and that's me. I felt this presence. I felt this power just go over my body. It poured over through him with the certainty and majesty of great tide of flood. And the barriers he had built through the years were swept away. And this is exactly what I felt, but I just couldn't put it in words for a long time. I couldn't explain it, you know. But then when, you know, it was, and it was hard for me to tell people about it because I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to think I've gone crazy. Okay, so time. I'll just wrap it up. So he stood in the presence for infinite power and love. I'll wrap it up. He has stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. And that was the beginning. And the transformation for me, that's what kept me coming back, you know. The transformations is the 12 steps, and it changed my personality. My personality was transformed, and it's by the grace of God. You know, it was a gradual transformation. Thank you, and I pass. Okay, thank you. Because of time, I'm going to have Scott continue and finish up, please, reading the chapter. Scott K. Is it? Scott, press star one to unmute. I am. Hi. Good, Good morning, everybody. Okay. Uh, page 57, uh, second to last paragraph. Even so has God restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grew into it more slowly, but he had come to all who had honestly sought him. When we drew him near, he disclosed himself to us. Um, you know, it's just more powerful words. My, my name is Scott, gratefully recovered compulsive overreader from New York City. Uh, thanks to uh, my higher power, our, our 12 steps, which, of course, I found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't found it necessary to compulsively overeat in 4,379 days today. Um, and for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, you know, March 6th, uh, just a brief few days from now, will be 12 years of back-to-back abstinence of being recovered um, after after being in our fellowship for almost 24 years. Um, so, yeah, I came in the educational variety. I've had both spiritual experiences and spiritual awake, a spiritual awakening. Um, when I first came into program, I came in with a lot of God baggage. I came in at 21 years old. I had a lot of God baggage. And, you know, thanks to some incredible sponsors and, of course, this book, I was shown that, that I could have a God personal to me that, that I can connect with and that, you know, God for me today can, can be three letters and one syllable. And I can say the word him and it could be three letters and one syllable because who am I to say God's a man, God's a woman? Who am I to say God's up in heaven, God's in earth? God, you know, you know it's, just, it's just a thing where for me God is the most important thing in my life today. And, you know, when I first came into program as a kid, and, and I went through this, and I got recovered, and I, and I 
found this incredible recovery and, and our, our lovely fellowship and, and of course the weight came off and, and took off hundreds and hundreds of pounds, I, um, I was leading an incredible life until I started putting other things in front of God, you know, cause I was a kid. So I, I started discovering the world of women, the world of money, the world of, of just everything else that that's, that's out in our universe. And eventually, you know, God took a back seat. And of course that meant my recovery took a back seat. And then, you know, just 12 years ago, almost 12 years ago was when, you know, after being in relapse, putting back on 300 pounds, doing, doing all the things that, that I knew that were just, you know, it, it's it, in Bill's story where, where it talks about a, um, an alcoholic in his cups as an unlovely creature. That was me. You know, I was a 500 pound big book expert just over 12 years ago. And it, it was just, it wasn't doing me any good. And I was on a path to destruction until my sponsor finally told me, you know, finally shared with me, Scott, you know, it says in our big book, faith without works is dead. Well, you know what, Scott? Works without faith is dead, too. And you have all the works in the world. You know this book backwards. You can explain this program better than anybody I've ever heard in my life. However, if you don't have a God personal to you and God connected with you, you're just going to keep growing until you die. And at that point, she said, when the F are you going to get down on your knees, talk to God, and stop eating? And that was March 6th of 2003. I got in and I said the third step prayer, just as it is in this book. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my life, I haven't looked back since. And, you know, <clears throat> that, that was a spiritual experience. I had some other spiritual experiences. But for the most part, you know, I, I really learned that it, for, for a lot of us, especially for those of us who are in program over 20 years like me, it, there's a lot of awakenings. There's a lot of stuff where, where, you know, just as it says in the back of spiritual experience that our friends and our neighbors and our families start seeing the changes before we do. Um, and so that's, that's how it's been for me. I mean, to, to live on the plane uh, of this world and, and just to know that, that I can fall back at any time and just have God catch me. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, just to wrap up, I just, um, uh, that, you know what, sometimes in, in, when it's this early in the morning, my thoughts just uh, come into my head and go out of my head. But, um, yeah, okay, the, the final thing I'll say, I, I just remembered it, is sort of like, you know, I was taught that, that I'm like a radio and I have an antenna, and an antenna connects with God. And, you know, I'm in Baltimore today, I'm traveling to visit a friend, um, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks I'll be somewhere else, and in a few weeks after that I'll be somewhere else. And the, the bottom line is, is that God goes with me everywhere. And when I'm not feeling completely connected to God, I can always move my antenna slightly and pick up that reception because I learned that God is always there. So with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you so much for having me share today. And thank you, Scott Kay. Okay, we have about, I don't know, eight minutes. Um, who Ronnie? would like to comment Sharon on the last, two, this is the last two paragraphs? We're going to start off again. Please. Ronnie, and who else? Sharon R.S. Sharon? Is that what you said, Sharon? Yes, Sharon R.S. Yes, Sharon. Go ahead. Ronnie, Sharon, and who else? Anita J. Anita J. Let's go with that for now until the time. We'll see. Ronnie, go ahead, please. Uh, thank you, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Ronnie, a compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, Gosh, I love this reading. And I, I just very briefly, I think um, what it reminds me is that um, God doesn't require me to believe in God in order for God to exist. 
You know, the sun doesn't require me to believe it's there in order for it to be there. Uh, I might walk around with, you know, blackout shades on. It doesn't mean that the sun's not there. It's there. It's always been there. It's been there from the beginning of time until the end. And it's been with me since the moment I took my first breath until I take my last. And if there's a life beyond this, it'll be there too. It is in me at all times. And what the program has done is uh, unblocked me so that I can know that. And there's some days I forget it. You know, there's some days the black blinders are on again. <laughs> and, um, but it's, you know, my God is always, always there. And I'm just so grateful for this program that just the 12-step the process, you know, it's a process. And by the 12th step, I said this before, and I have to say it to myself all the time, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing these steps. I didn't have the spiritual awakening at step one, at step four, at step nine. It wasn't until I worked all the steps that I really got a spiritual awakening, but it was more of a slow dawning, but it felt very real. It wasn't that bolt of lightning thing, um, which sometimes in my life when I've had bolt of lightning moments, um, it's, they haven't been good. <laughs> uh, doesn't mean that they're not for other people, but for me, my own experiences, uh, they haven't been good. So it was a slow dawning. And um, God doesn't need me to believe that God is there. And the trouble that I've gotten into over the course of my life has just been moments when I just thought, okay, I'm just alone. The My struggle is to just continually believe that God thinks I'm worth it. That's, that's always my struggle, that God wants me to turn over every single bit of my life, what I'm going to eat today, what I'm going to think about before I go into a meeting. If I give it all to God, I, I just have a hard time imagining that God's love is so big and so expansive that he wants all of it. And um, that's, that's what I struggle with, uh, sort of a self-esteem with God. You know, who, who am I? that that this big force wants me to turn everything over. Um, the thing is, I don't have to turn it over. He already has it. Am I going to fight it or not? That's really the question. So that's what I pray for every day is just the willingness to keep my eyes, my ears open, um, to come from love, including love with myself. No shame. That's my new mantra is no shame. No shame just a lot of love, a lot of requests, a lot of forgiveness, and a whole lot of laughter that this crazy earth that we're on, this is, this is what my experience is. You know, I often think that, you know, human existence is sacred space because we are here for just a brief moment and then we're gone. You know, there were people who lived thousands of years ago. Their time has gone. So my sacred space is right now. Our sacred space is right now. And what a delight to know that. And I just pray that God will keep me open so that I know that, so that I can be of maximum service to help others know it as well. So um, thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Ronnie. We have five minutes, and we'll see if we can get Sharon R.S. and then Anita L. Go ahead, Sharon. Oh, thank you, Janice. Good morning. Uh, I'm Sharon R.S. Good morning to everyone on the line. Uh, the very last line, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. I want you to remind I want to remind you that this is the chapter to the agnostics and here on the very last page 57 he has mentioned and referred to God no less than 8 times and yet this is the chapter to the agnostics and basically what he's saying is circumstances are such that you need help and if you're going to get help there's only one way that I know of and that's through a power greater than yourself 
that the many call God, and God will help you get recovered. But as many of us know who sat around the rooms for 10 years, whether we were agnostic, atheist, Christian, Jew, whatever, we sit around the room for decades and don't get recovered. What is the problem? We have the circumstances. We're miserable. And we keep trying on our own over and over and over again to get recovery. Why can't we get recovered? We see other people. They have it. What's the problem with us? Well, there's a key word that's mentioned in the, the uh, uh, third from the bottom chapter. He humbly, or, or paragraph, he humbly offered himself to his maker. He humbly. So we, had, we have step one. We uh, are powerless over food, and we know it. So we hang around the room. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we don't know if we're really insane. So we, we step one, step two, we keep going around and around and we can't get recovery. So here it says uh, in the, in the uh, third paragraph up, uh, step two, first of all, you, you have the circumstance, but be willing, willing to believe in something different, willing, the willingness. And then that third step, that's when we know, that's when we know we can get recovery, when we uh, turn our will and our lives over to the care of a power greater than ourselves. When we honestly and sincerely, that's the key word in this last reading, honestly sought him, that's when our recovery can begin. That's when we can step onto that shore and begin to live a new life with a power that's greater than ourselves uh, in conscious contact, living together no longer on our own, out there trying to recover, but now we have surrendered, we have humbly given up at trying to do it ourselves, we've accepted a power greater than ourselves, now we can move on into recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon R.S. Okay, we'll wrap it up. Anita L. Okay, it's Anita J. I'm sorry, J. That's okay. Um, hi, and thank you for your service and everybody who's listening today. I wanted, I couldn't let this chapter end without opening my mouth again. And it's, it's, you know, the revelation, the first one, I had a sudden revelation. When I saw a person being taken out of an, um, a stretcher into an ambulance and who had been hit by a tiny little horse trailer on the same road that a year before I had been hit in the driver door by a United Fruit Truck. But I didn't end up in an ambulance. You think then I had that spiritual awakening? No, it was only when I saw her and I realized he he has always been there. He's always been there. And I had just grown 12 years earlier, just decided, because the minister was having an affair. I was so screwed up between churches, Religion and spirituality, and that's my first thank you, don't breathe as anonymous, spirituality. But I wanted to say in this long journey, I want to tell you the first time when I drew near and asked him to disclose himself to me, it was nothing dramatic, people. It was unbelievable. It was, I was very upset about something. God knows what it was. He does know what it was. And I asked to come into his presence 
and I was in tremendous pain lying on my bed just after dinner, went up there, and his message to me was, get up and do the dishes. And I realized this God wants to have every part of my life, and you're going to take it one step at a time, and you're not going to invent a new vaccine or anything. You're going to live a life of sane and happy usefulness as long as you draw near. And you know what? It's been a long time, a long time, and finally really doing that to the best of my ability a day at a time. And uh, thank you all so much. With that, I pass. And thank you, Anita J. And thank you to everyone who shared and those that who wanted to share, but we didn't have enough time. But we do have another meeting following this. So we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Sharon R.S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Sharon R.S. again. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.